the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome once again to the Links and Locks podcast. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet. He is, of course, Justin Ray from the 21st Group. And we've got so much to get to. This week is the Butterfield Bermuda Championship. Uh, a little bit of a butterface this week uh, based on the entry list and the updates that we've been getting on the field. Uh, we're speaking right now on Monday afternoon, and I believe some players are left. I believe, Jay Ray, that some players are still left in the field, but uh, we will get to that momentarily first let's talk about this weekend everything we saw lots of sports going on and in the middle of the night for us here in the united states hideki matsuyama won yet again he he pulled a tiger it's always good when you pull a tiger whatever you do and he pulled the tiger going masters zozo in the same year just like tiger did a couple years ago running away and winning by five did he go wire to wire almost? I mean, almost, I think. Well, I, 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 I was wondering what you were meaning by pulling a tiger because there's so many great, you know, <laughs> led the field in greens and regulations, struck the bejesus out of it on his way to winning. Uh, for me, like the, the win, obviously great for Hideki, but it just kind of caps off a really a great year of golf for the nation of Japan. I mean, obviously Hideki Matsuyama won the Masters, but I mean, for me, the image of the year in golf is Hideki's caddy, Shota Hayafuji, bowing to the course after he won it's still the most endearing lasting image of the year for me yeah, in golf yeah successful olympic games held in tokyo all things considered a year delayed i mean you know the the golf portion off at least, of it at least kind of went off without much of a hitch subasa kajitani won the augusta national women's amateur uh kita nakajima is currently the number one amateur in the world and now hideki matsuyama returns wins a pga tour event on home soil just really an unbelievable year um for the country of japan who's absolutely as we I think you have to say the golf crazy nation of Japan. It's on the bingo sheet for, you know, generalisms about, about uh, our friends in Japan. So it kind of just buttoned up the year for me for what's been an unbelievable year um, in men's women's golf and the amateur game, regardless, everywhere you look. I'll throw Takumi Kanaya on there as well, who was mm, yeah. uh, top 10. I, I picked him for a top 10 on the gimme last week and he uh, finished top 10, the former uh, number one ranked world amateur player, who I think is going to be a, very good professional on certain courses. And I, I love Jay Ray, the fact that Hideki entered the Zozo by saying, look, if my game was a 10 out of 10 during the masters, it's less than one right now, but we're in Japan and I'm going to try very hard anyway and see what happens. And what happened was he goes out and wins by five. All right. Uh, full disclosure time. Uh, I want you to, you know, no one else is listening. It's just me and you here. Sure. How much of the Zozo Championship, which I mentioned was on in the middle of the night here in the United States, how much of the Zozo did you watch? We were chasing some Pac-12 football late on Saturday, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so we had it on as, as the one does screen as we as the second screen experience. You know, keeping an eye on it, keeping tabs. Not a ton. It's a timing thing. You know, it, I did. I would say two hours, maybe, but 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 none is the primary TV. Yeah, about the same for me. Maybe even a little less. I hate to admit it. There's a lot of stuff going on. I will say that the sports equinox, the United States sports yes. equinox recently yeah. where I, NFL, NHL, NBA, and MLB all had games on it's like the 26th time it's ever happened in the same day. I will admit that every night at exactly 3:14 AM for some reason, when I get up to pee, it's always like exactly the same time. 
Uh, I checked the scores. I turned my phone on and checked the scores and just uh, Hideki's still in the lead. Okay. I go back to bed, wake up, check it again. But uh, just in case I, you know, I don't know, like someone's on 59 watch at three 14 in the morning. All of a sudden it's like, all right, I'll go turn the TV on and I'll go, let me go out to the couch and watch the end of this. But no, that didn't quite happen. The world demands takes from you. They demand stats from me on the Twitter machine. If something happens, so we always got our eye on it, but Hey, look, we can't, you can't do it 365 days a year. Sometimes you need just a little bit of space and, you know, overnight golf on the other side of the world kind of offered a little bit of a, a little bit of a opportunity, a little bit of a down week, slow week for me in the coverage department. I have a five month old too. So, you know, all these things thrown together. That's my de facto excuse. Anytime I, I miss something. Oh my God. Just blaming the kid already. Not blaming it's his fault. You can't watch golf all night. No, explaining <laughs> the situation, I, you know, I first started covering golf full-time. I had gone to a handful of tournaments for the TV side of the ESPN, but first started covering golf full-time in the middle of the 2004 season. And I remember at the time, like being deathly scared that I was going to miss something. Like, hey, I'm in charge of our golf content at ESPN. And so if I'm not watching and I don't see something, like what's going to happen? And the answer to that, of course, was nothing's going to happen. Like nothing's going to go wrong if we miss something. But sure, it's good to be in the know. But I, back in the day, I would TiVo, you know, back when TiVo was still a thing. I would TiVo every single round of every event. I would watch as much as I could live. And then I would go back and rewatch at night. And I did this for the first eight tournaments where I was on the job. And I'm like, man, and I mean, I'm literally watching four hours of golf in the afternoon and then four more hours at night. Okay. Maybe three hours. Cause I would speed up. Okay. Two hours. Let's be, let's, let's be real. It's half commercials, half golf. So two hours of golf at night uh, as I'd fast forward through the TiVo machine. And after about two months of it, I went nuts. I, I couldn't do it anymore. And I, I get there are a lot of golf fans out there. Who are like, why I watch, I, I watch that much golf on a regular basis. Good for you when it's your job and we feel like you're doing it because you have to do it not because you want to do it. It changes the dynamic a little bit. And man, I was, I was a little miserable, not, not completely, not like, you know, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Not like I hate God. Just, it, it just kind of got to me after a while where I'm like, man, I just want to sit back and watch a movie on a Thursday night or a Friday night. And it's like, no, I, I got to watch the second round of the greater Greensboro open instead, because I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. It, it wasn't that much fun for a little while. And I finally figured out, like you were saying, you can't watch 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. You just can't. Tough to find work-life balance that way. I'm wondering if this was probably pre Mrs. Sobel. So there was, there was it probably throws a wrench into any kind of courtship opportunities that could be presented your way in that during that time span. Got married Round three of the U.S. Open in 04, which I'll always remember as the day that uh, the Greens really <laughs> firmed up at Shinnecock. <laughs> That's what I remember about my wedding hurt? day. Uh, I, was, I was a little late for pictures because me and my buddies were in a hotel room uh, watching the, the events unfold at Shinnecock that day. And then uh, literally took over the job after like wedding, honeymoon, get back, new job, cover golf. So, yes, that was part of there the honeymoon go. period was hey, I'm going to go watch eight hours of golf every day. Yeah, well, yeah, my point was, I mean, you know, that had to be a tough sell. You know, hey, you want to watch a movie? Like, no, nah, I've got to, I got to grind here on this, this rear of the RBC. Yes. You know, Thursday. Yeah. Stuart yeah. Sink's making an early run. 
That's that's essentially what it was. It's essentially what was going on back in the day. Yikes. Good times. Boy. Anyway. Anyway, um, what else? Hideki played well. Uh, Brendan Steele, I spoke with him a little bit. He, he might still be on a plane, by the way. I don't. I I texted with him like four different times in a 36-hour span, and every time I texted with him, he was on another plane. He was on like a different plane. And so um, he is... He's very happy. A little insight from a player who, okay, yeah, he's won three times on the PGA Tour and he's set himself up well. But I can tell you that a share of second place for a player of Steele's caliber and talent level and ranking and all that kind of stuff, a share of second place in October that kind of helps set up your season, I can't underestimate how important that is for a player like that. I, I think that a lot of us would kind of just gloss over and say, oh, yeah, he's a good player. And, yeah, okay, share a second, no big deal. And, you know, good for him. He gets some money out of it, but whatever. I- I'm telling you, like, the ability to get into some events that you want to get into, to skip some events that you don't necessarily want to play but might have felt like you had to play, there's a lot of good things that come with a, a really strong start early in the-, in the season. Set up your schedule, right? Less pressure down the stretch. And like you said, you know, maybe this means – Sometime in the summer, he's not playing five in a row. You know, mm-hmm. he's playing three of those five because he had, you know, he won 250, whatever FedEx Cup points finishing T2. So, yeah, you can make a lot of hay early on in the season. I mean, I think it was, I want to say, I looked this up a few weeks ago, but I want to say it was about two thirds of the field in the tour championship last year had at least one top 10 finish in the fall. So, I mean, you can make some headway and get, give yourself a good position, you know, give yourself a leg up for the season ahead. And, you know, player, his cap, uh, capabilities, his history, you know, that kind of status of player, it's big. Uh, the first thing that jumped off to me is Matt Wallace, a guy who's obviously trying to stick on the PGA Tour, on the primary circuit in the world. He finished tied for fourth. I mean, it can, it can go a long way for sure. By the way, and we're going to get into this field list for the Bermuda Championship this week, but my favorite fade, as I wrote my preview piece, which I started writing on Sunday afternoon, finished early Monday morning, my fade was anyone who played in Japan at the Zozo this past week, and then it's going to Bermuda, who is dealing with culture shock and jet lag and all these other things, because that is not, I, I don't believe there's a direct Tokyo to say, Bermuda. The Tokyo to, to, I don't even know the airport code. Uh, Southampton, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, whatever it is. I, not many direct, I don't think. No. And so I, I get it. Like, hey, these guys are used to travel. They, they, they still get tired. They're still people. Like, I love when people are like, oh, come on, they're professional golfers, they're just playing golf. Come on, just don't worry about it. Like, they're still like humans that need sleep and rest and like have to like stretch their legs and things like that. So, and the difference um, between fourth and 44th is not very big. Yes, exactly. And so, in any case, those are my favorite fades this week. All the guys coming from Japan, and apparently, they've all decided to withdraw. There might be like one guy, like Garrick Higo might be the one guy left who's actually trying to make that trip and everyone else he's is like, like 20 too ah, so he's fine yeah exactly like brendan todd like last week i just i'd love to i won a couple of years ago it, great play i just i i can't there's no possible way I'd go from japan to bermuda and go play golf this week so i get I that he yeah. withdrew anyway like you said so yeah um bernard longer wins at age 64 you have any cool stats on that i mean you didn't have to prep any um so <laughs> Just, no, I know he's the oldest winner now. All he's time. the oldest winner. I have, That's a good one. I, I will in a few weeks. Um, I'm going to do a piece for PGATour.com where I dive into some of the more ridiculous numbers about Bernhard Longer. I think in the in the senior major championships over the last decade, he's something like 
200 shots better in relation to par than any other player. Like something absolutely bonkers. I mean, there's all kinds of numbers you can dive in there. I just don't have them at the ready at the moment. But all yeah, right. that, that'll be part of the piece coming up in a couple of weeks on PGATour.com. By the way, we were two weeks removed from me saying on this very podcast, you know, Phil Mickelson is just too good for all these guys. They're older. They don't hit it as far. They can't hang with him. And Phil finished. I, he was like 49th the last I checked. He had a nine on a par five. And Bernard Longer, who's what, 13 years older than him, is going out there and winning the golf tournament. So what do I know? Bernhard's going to be the first octogenarian winner on the PGA Tour champion. All right. Time for you to ask me some questions. Five minutes, five questions you never asked. I got to be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This is Five Under. Yes. uh, Five questions. We'll start it off as we know the PGA Tour heading to Bermuda this week. You and I have been fortunate enough to go to some pretty amazing tropical places in our careers. One of the great things about this sport, they don't play it where it snows when it's snowing. Uh, the weather's always pretty nice regardless of where you go, traveling, covering this game. I've personally never been to Bermuda, but I'll give you a head-to-head straight up on two places I have been. Where would you rather vacation, Hawaii or the Caribbean? Hawaii. Caribbean would be an easier trip for me here from Florida. That would be the only um sort of benefit the only sort of check mark on that side of the ledger but other than that and i think it depends again uh you know we had talked last week about vegas or japan and the way i phrased the question was an all expenses paid trip and all of a sudden it goes you know hey do you want to go for two days if you're going for the weekend you want to go to vegas or japan ah, japan's a long way to go for a weekend i'll take vegas when it's an all expenses paid trip then you're like well no japan sounds pretty good if you're going to take care of the whole trip for me so again it comes down to all right, like, is it like, is it a week long? Are you taking care of it? Is it anywhere in Hawaii I'd like to go? Or do I have to go slum it in Oahu in the middle of Honolulu somewhere, which is fine. I just want to know where I'm going. Do I get to spend it on Maui? Well, listen, one of the great traits of a journalist who asks great questions is sometimes you need to be just nebulous and loose enough to where (laughs) the interviewee may interpret it however they feel most fit and can then subsequently answer the question. And there, you don't know where they're going to go. You don't want to lead them. You know, that's what they tell you in journalism school. I, I was just going to say that straight out of a Mizzou school class. They also tell you to keep class. all your receipts so you can file for your expenses. That's very important. That's probably lesson number one. That's an upper level class right there. That's, 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 that's the good stuff. Also, don't fudge the receipts, kids. Like, Never. Uh, no. Ever. Like, it just, it's not, not worth it. it. For you to get an extra $4 because you're like, hey, I, I put my buddy's cheeseburger on my tab too. And then you get caught and then you don't have a job anymore. Trust me, it, it's just not worth it. Don't do it. Take advice from Uncle Jason there, kids. You don't want to do that. Um, if I'm going head to head, I love both places. My wife and I honeymooned in the Bahamas. Um, I've got to go to Maui a bunch of times uh, for the Tournament of Champions. I can't think of a per- more perfect place on earth than than some of the places I've been to in, in Hawaii. But I know you can't lose, but I think I'd also go Hawaii there, especially if it's if it's the all expenses paid and I got, I don't know, 10 days to take take my time getting over there, take my time wandering back. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, uh, it's I used tough to, to lose there. Can't lose there. When, when I would cover the event at Kapalua, I would – there's like – I don't know what mount, – there's like a – I guess the mountain volcano, like halfway between the airport and the court. And, like, they're only – about 30 guys in the field. So they'd get done before sunset and you, you know, I'd leave the course. I go drive 20 minutes and like go hike up this mountain kind of mountain. I don't, I don't know what it, 
like there's a peak to it. It's sort of a mountain. It's as mountainous yeah, as it's it like, gets. It's it's what maybe the most beautiful place I've ever been able to go to in my life. I mean, um, I the other thing with the tournament of champions with the, where it is on the schedule. First of all, like seven a.m. NFL playoff games. That yes. Week which is yep. a little bit of a, a change up for you, a little bit different life experience. Snowing in Pittsburgh while we were watching at 7 a.m., uh, sucking down uh, a Mai Tai at the hotel bar. Well, yeah, you're like, oh, I got to set my alarm for 7 to see the <laughs> beginning of the NFL playoff game. It's four degrees in Boston or, or wherever, Foxborough. You know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a nice uh, thing to wake up to. The other part of that was for like four years in a row, I would play, I get to play um, the plantation course the day after the tournament because of my good friend and uh, the base of the governor of Hawaii, Mark Rolfing. I don't know. He's an amazing man, but he's got me on that golf course many times, play golf in the morning and then have a late night overnight flight home. But it would be the day of the uh, national championship game for college football to yes. cap off the playoff. So I've been to the same sports bar by the air, uh, by the airport in Maui, watch the game game starts at like three o'clock in the afternoon and then wander over, get on my flight, sleep overnight. I know the one best day of the year. I, I know exactly which sports bar you're talking about. Uh, by the way, you, you screwed up one little thing, one little part of this tale that you have told, which is anytime you're going to cover the Century Tournament of Champions, you have to just tell the bosses, look, I, I'm out there anyway. I mean, we're already paying for the trip. I might as well just, it's a 28 minute flight. I might as well just hop over to the Sony and stay there for an extra week. Well, we got, got to do that a few times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We got to do that a few times, staying for the, the two week tour, which was unbelievable. Anyway, I'll stop bragging about that. It's really just, <laughs> you know. Uh, my, my first question was just a segue to, to daydream about going back to Hawaii. <laughs> uh, question number two, Hideki with a big win. Uh, let's go over under when Hideki Matsuyama's career is over one and a half major championships. Does he win another one? I got that question again this morning. Every Monday morning I go on the starter on PGA Tour Radio with Taylor Zarzer, my buddy, and he gave me the question now. Hey, if Hideki can putt like this every week, and I go, whoa, 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 stop. I go, you know what happens if every player putts better than their baseline is they win a lot more and they play a lot better. It's just, we know what Hideki is. We know who Hideki is. Yeah, I'll give Hideki a PGA championship in 2025. Okay. I mean, yeah, the talent obviously is there to where it can happen again. We often get into the discussion when we ask these kind of, what ifs for down the road about the strength of all his peers. Right. But this is a guy who's contended in several, it, it was kind of a, not an inevitable arc towards a victory, but it was one you could see in terms of his performance in major championships over the course of several years, this kind of elite ball striker, you know, I know Colin Morikawa kind of gets the title now as the best iron player in the world. Statistically, it absolutely bears that out. Justin Thomas is right there, but Hideki Matsuyama is in that elite class right mm-hmm. behind Colin Morikawa. So I'll say he wins another one as well. Also, I don't know if it's necessary. He gets to play the Masters as long as he wants. Um, he's still is he twenty nine old yet? I believe twenty nine. I mean, sneaky, still young for as long yeah. as he's been around, seemingly in the public eye. You know, we've known about him since he was winning those um, Asia Pacific Amateur Championships and getting into the Masters. So, um, yeah, I'll say over as well. Why not? Um, all right. Twenty 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 five PGA was that too? Uh, I mean, that was there? that was your that was your call. Uh, I'm looking up Quail Hollow in 2025. He's played well there before. Okay, I'm sticking with that. All right. Quail Hollow, okay. PGA Championship 2025. Give me odds right now. I'll book it. I'm taking a decky ticket. Nice. Very good. Uh, question number three. This is a kind of a convoluted one, but follow me here. Cameron Tringali finished tied for second 
This extends his all-time record for the most official PGA Tour earnings ever by a player without a victory. He's now made $15.4 million in official tour earnings in his career and never won. My question is, which happens first? He wins a PGA Tour event or he gets to $20 million in career earnings. He's got 4.6 to go. That's without a win... That's probably two seasons, like a season and a half. So we're saying, is Cameron Tringali going to win in the next eighteen months? Is that is that a or, fair way to or, break down? I mean, that four question? and a half million. That's a that's a good. That's a pretty good year. I mean, a pretty good year and a half. Is that a pretty good year and a half? I mean, that's like a good. Like what? Uh, yeah. What would he have made this. last year? I, I was thinking he made quite, like two and a half to three last year. Two point four. Okay. And that was so, his career high. Okay, so that could be. The next Let's, two seasons, if it's yeah, you if could say not two, a victory, two and a half. Right? Yeah, two to two and a half. That was his career high. Uh, I think he wins. I think he wins at some point, somewhere. I think he he enters enough of these events where, even though his ranking is probably good enough to get into some WGCs and some majors and things like that, uh, he's a guy that tends to play a lot of golf. And I think in one of these events with a somewhat inferior field, that it just it's going to happen. I mean, we, we said this about Abraham answer for a few years. We said it about Tony fee now for five years, he was going to win a full field event. At some point you're good enough. It happens. I would agree. He's coming off the best season of his career. Um, he's playing much more consistent golf. He had 11 top 25 finishes last season, which is a really good number. That's the kind of, you know, sum that some of the elite players on the PGA tour have um, finished in the top 50 in the FedEx cup for the first time since 2015. Um, I say he gets a win. I think he's, He's been too consistent for too long. I mean, the fact that you're able to keep your PGA Tour card every year for more than a decade now and not have a win is an unbelievable achievement. It's like, you know, Charles Howell III did that for the longest time before he broke through and got another victory, I think third of his career um, at the RSM a couple years ago. But it's a difficult thing to do, to be that consistent, make enough, make enough cuts, make enough money, have enough high finishes, have enough FedEx Cup points to keep that PGA Tour card for that long and you don't have a victory to give you that exemption for one or two years. We in the media and we as fans collectively, I think we like to, we like to, like to look at those who win and we say, ah, that guy's got it. That guy's got what it takes to go out there and take down a whole field. I think what we tend to forget is that, look, being in the top one to 2% of your profession, depending on if we're just saying PGA tour players, or if we're saying all people who play professional golf for a living, in which case, Yes, Charles Howell and Cameron Tringali and guys like that are in the top 1%, maybe top 0.5%, whatever it might be of their uh, profession. Look, being that and being one of the best to do it and making lots of money, I think we have to stop collectively looking at that as somehow there's a failure of some sort going on because I don't think any of those people would look at it as some sort of failure. Would Charles Howell right now give back 10 million of those dollars for a major championship? I don't know. It's a great question. Love to have him on the pod. Uh, CH3, if you're listening, you're more than welcome to come on and answer that question anytime you would like. Uh, but also, by the way, one of the great guys in the game. Uh, other sure. than when I was coaching against his kid's soccer team a couple of years ago, and he was yelling at me during the game, which I, I didn't think was very funny. Uh, while he was laughing, he was doing it. Uh, but no, he, he is an absolutely great guy. That said, uh, would he trade... A lot of money for a maybe, yeah, probably, maybe, I don't know. But I, I think we have to stop looking at like every player who didn't win a major and didn't win 20 times on the PGA Tour is some 
somehow like failed in their life and didn't accomplish their life's goals because it doesn't always work out that way. We talk about obviously statistical trends a lot. It's what I do. And you ask me a lot of questions about my perspective on things. And I'm usually, not usually, I'm always of the belief that the collective sum of all your different, you know, your resume that you've put together is much more important than the outlier of a victory, right? Mm -hmm. So like when we talk about, you know, the number, the most, I was so sick of updating the most top tens without a win Tony Finau thing for, for so long. And then he finally broke through and won. And it was like a cathartic moment for everyone in golf because everyone loves the guy. He seems like the nicest guy in the world. He was such a consistent performer. He's fun to watch. He's charismatic. Maybe this is the thing that just rips the seal off and he gets to skyrocket up. You know, but for the years leading up to that, people would ask me about him. I would always say, like, it's inevitable. He's too talented. He's putting together too many great finishes. It's going to happen. It's going to get there. So can't lay, I mean, not can't lay. Um, Tringali, obviously not, not on the level of, of Tony Finau in terms of talent or performance metrics, but he's really good. And I think there's going to be a week where it all comes together and he definitely gets that breakthrough win. It's going to, it's going to be a great moment for him. Agreed. All right. Question four. Um, another moment to brag after our 10 minute discussion about going to the Caribbean for, for free for work. Uh, I'm going to go to game one of the world series tomorrow to root for my evil, evil Houston Astros. What is your personal sport favorites, all time sports experience as a fan? Uh, okay. So I have a great one. It involves the world series as well. I could probably go in a few different directions with this, but since you're going to the world series, I'll stick with uh, world series as the focus here, by the way, uh, just so everyone listening out there knows, we record the podcast every Monday afternoon, Jay Ray and I. And so I got a text from Justin the other day saying, hey, I don't think it'll get in the way of anything, but I'm going to game one of the World Series on Tuesday. And I said, that's great. We record on Monday. And he said, yeah, now that I realize that was just a flex to tell you I was going to the game. Which I was like mentally totally planning fun. my week. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I should te- text Sobel. Then right after I did it, I was like, why did I do that? Like, I was- <laughs> But it was like a reactive thing. Like, okay, I'm getting organized for the week ahead. I've got the chance, you know, scrambling, got the tickets, got the place to stay. I was like, oh, I should check, make sure it's okay with Jay. And then I sent you the message and I was like, what am I doing? So. My response, by the way, was, sounds great. I'll be there. Yeah. Was like, oh, you got me a ticket. Thanks. Yeah. I didn't get you a free one, man. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I'm very excited for you. You're going to have a great time. That's uh, uh, Who are our pitchers for game one? Do we know yet? Framber Valdez against Charlie Morton, who got the final out for the Astros yeah. in 2017. Oh, I like that. That's a good matchup. All right. Yeah. I think it's going to be a really good series. So looking forward to it. Good luck to your Astros. I have no Thank dog you. in the race. So Thank I'll you. just bet it and then I'll, I will. Um, so my World Series story, this was before game four of the Subway Series, which was 2000. 2000. Yeah, 2000. Uh, at Shea Stadium, I grew up a massive Mets fan, still am, and it was at, at Shea. I, at the time, was a producer for Chris Berman doing his two-minute drill. So Boomer calls me up that week. He says, I'm going to be at Shea. Do I have to do my Boomer voice as I talk Boomer? Eh, so I, mean, I think we all do, right? Uh, hey, we all have. Hey, Shea, we'll do a thing. Um, so he tells me, you know, just come on the field. Uh, Okay, boom, sounds good. I'm like, hey, live in Connecticut at the time. It's only a two-hour drive, so I can get myself there. But it's a matter of, so, like, I got there, and, like, I didn't have a credential. I just somehow, like, snuck on to Shea State at, at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I, you know, 
I somehow got myself out there. There are enough people that I knew and was able to get on the field. So go on the field. We, to this day, and he still once a year reminds me of this. It's his favorite TV moment that he's ever done because his dad was there. And his dad brought a yearbook from the 1969 Jets. And they had had season tickets at Chase Stadium. So his dad was kind of holding on to the yearbook, showing me some of it. Oh, this is great. We go up to the stands where they had had seats. And I said, boom, why don't you have your dad sitting in your seats and you come over and you're like, dad, you're still here, it, which is a perfect kind of Berman moment. I mean, it just worked really well. And so he came over and he unscripted, had a three minute conversation with his dad, looking through the yearbook as we filmed the whole thing and we put it on TV that night. And he's still like, his father passed away a couple of years ago. And after he did, he called me up, he said, or he texted me and said, you know, that's still like one of my favorite moments ever being able to do that with my dad. So in any case, moving forward, uh, we're on the field. We shoot for a couple hours. It's now about five o'clock. They're taking BP. And you know, Sobes, I gotta go interview the managers. Okay. Yeah. Go, go ahead. You know, we're all set. Thanks for everything. Ah, no, come on. Let's go. Okay. I still, at this point, don't have a credential. Don't have a ticket. Don't have anything. So we go in, we, he interviews Joe Torrey for Sports Center for the six o'clock Sports Center. He interviews Bobby Valentine. And, you know, and I'm standing there next to him. He introduces, I'm like shaking hands with Bobby Valentine two hours before they're about to play the World Series in Chase Stadium. I'm like, this is ridiculous. All right, let's go out to the field. Sure. We go out to the field. And I mean, literally, like there were 50 people on the field, and all of them you knew by fit. I mean, it was, you know, Reggie Jackson walks up, he introduced, you know, Reggie, meet Sobes, you know, like Hank Garrett. Hank, you got to meet Sobes. You know, oh, my God. This is ridiculous. You know, I'm just I, I'm I'm half like, you know, his buddy and half just like making sure his like unbelievably large, like little suitcase briefcase slash the, the thing like doesn't walk away on its own. OK, so we finished all that 630 now. We're about to be first pitch half an hour away or whatever it is. So uh, Sobes, let's get something to eat. Sure. At this point, like whatever you tell me, I mean, the rest is just gravy anymore anyway. So it doesn't even matter. So we go and I'm, I'm like, yeah, we're going to go grab a hot dog somewhere. We go up to the, the diamond lounge or whatever it was called at the time. Walk right. In. There's a thousand person line, like all the way down the stairs. We walked to the front of the line. I need a table. It's not a line for boom. No, not a line for boom. I need a table by with a view. Eh. Boom. We're sitting right there. Shrimp, steak. Whatever. This is ridiculous. Okay. So we finish. He goes, all right, let's go watch the game. Sure. What, where are we watching the game? Like, like at this point, you know, I'm like a make a wish kid. And he's just bringing me all over this place. We go right behind home plate. I mean, we had to have been on TV in the bottom of the second inning. We just go right behind home plate, walk up about 10 rows. He goes, ah, can we get two seats over here? And Like this guy moves a little that way. And this guy moves a little that way. And all of a sudden two seats materialize and we sit there for the next seven and a half innings and watch game four of the world series until like top of the ninth inning. He's like, ah, I got to go. We got to be on TV in 10 minutes. Uh, Okay, sure. I walk back and everyone's like, where were you? You didn't even have a credential. I'm like, I know I, I was with Boomer. So that's a very, very long winded story. Of, you had a credential it was his arm around your shoulder exactly that was, yes that's more valuable than any credential that's awesome man that's so gonna put my uh my <laughs> stub up getting a ticket and <laughs> airbnb with my brother-in-law to absolute awful shame but great story man that's, that's 
my favorite as a fan, I did go to game three of the 2017 World Series with my dad. Mm. Um, And that was awesome. You know, my dad had, uh, he's always taken me for like three straight years when the Astros were getting beat by the Braves in the playoffs seemingly every year in the uh, NLDS. Um, It was like my my birthdays at the beginning of October. My birthday gift three straight years was we get playoff tickets and all the Astros were obviously, we're not the primetime game. We're in the afternoon. So I get out of sixth grade, seventh grade, whenever it was, go to the game with my, go to the playoff game with my dad. So it was cool to be able to get tickets, you know, through some connections and take him to the world series all those years later. So that's probably my number one. A lot of mine are like really like heartbreaking. Like I was at the Houston Oilers playoff game when I was eight years old, when before the season, Bud Adams said that, if we don't win the Super Bowl and moving the team to Tennessee and then the Oilers lost to Joe Montana, Marcus Allen and the chiefs. And I cried the whole way home. Cause I thought mm-hmm. it meant that the team was moving away. Like that's mm-hmm. like, that's most of my in-person sports experiences. So to be able to be there with my dad was, was pretty cool in 2017. That's a good one. I like that one. All right. Sure Question five, on. Jason Sobel is a hot dog, a sandwich. We're not getting into that. I, I, come on. I don't know. There's bread. There's meat. But no, it's not a sandwich. A sandwich is a sandwich. A hot dog That's is a hot dog. That's a correct answer. That's a correct answer. You, a quesadilla is not a sandwich. That's right. carbohydrate with protein in the middle and carbohydrate on the bottom. Right. Right? Yeah. Okay. Very good. That was my go-to number five. We also would have, could have dove into is Die Hard a Christmas movie or should Pete Rose be No, it's, it's a movie during Christmas. And no, Pete Rose, I, as much as I like gambling, Pete Rose is kind of, Pete Rose did it to himself over the last 30 years, which is kind of the way you put it before we started this. I say, yes, it's a Christmas movie because it gives me a break from all the actual Christmas movies during that time of year. Mm. And two, I think everyone should get in the Hall of Fame and they should tell all the stories, explain everything. Bonds, Clemens, Pete Rose, Shoeless Joe Jackson, and explain everything. Be an honest, open history of the sport. I, I absolutely love that idea. I have different thoughts on halls of fame than most people do. I, I am not nearly as stingy when it comes to the hall of fame as most, most people are like that guy wasn't quite good enough. He was only in the top 1.2%, not the top 1% of his. I'm like, I don't know. Put him in. He was really good. What do you want from like, it's a celebration I, I of the sport, right? It's there was one year where media could vote on the world golf hall of fame. And I voted to put Freddie Couples in. Freddie Couples barely got in. I was vocal about it and like wrote and talked about how I thought Freddie should be in. A lot of people disagreed with me. And the next year, the media didn't have a vote anymore. So I, <laughs> I, I'm not taking Way to go, credit nor blame for any of this, but uh, I didn't really want the honor in the first place. I don't want to be saddled with that, but I, I kind of have a thing about like leaving people out of the Hall of Fame just because you're like, I don't know, you weren't quite good enough, Fred Couples. Like, I don't know, man. He was really freaking good. So I thought he should be in the Hall of Fame. Sorry. I don't know. He lost that playoff at the 87 <laughs> John Deere, whatever. Yeah. You know, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I, it's a celebration of the sport to me. So the more the merrier. Don't make, not everybody gets in, but obviously, you know, if you're telling the story of the sport, then yeah. All right. Moving on to this week's event. Uh, I've got a question for you. Uh, question six. Is it insensitive for me to call it the Butterface Bermuda Championship? Uh, no, I'm good with it. I'll approve okay. it. I also saw one on Twitter. I think it was PGA Tout had uh, Gutterfield Bermuda Championship, mm. which also I think, if if the, if mine's acceptable, that one's definitely acceptable. 
Yeah, definitely. So I would have gone. I, you could go. I mean, I think I described the field as booty cheeks at one point. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not. It's not strong. Not not a strong field this week. We did uh, on the radio show today with Michael Collins. I went through all of Rob Bolton's update tweets on who was in and who was out. I thought it was a really good segment. I'm not going to do it here just because by the time people are listening, like they've probably seen it and they've gone through it, but the whole, like he's in now he's out now he's in now he's out. And I'm imagining all these, like from the outside, it looks like players were like, you know, I got to Bermuda. I'm just not going to, I guarantee there were players who got into the field, had no idea. Somebody told them, Hey dude, you're in the Bermuda field. You playing this week. And they're like, no, I live in Scottsdale. I'm not going to Bermuda tomorrow. Like they're, uh, the combination of the COVID protocols and the list going way down to guys. I mean, Tommy Armour the third got into this thing for like yeah. five minutes until he said, no, I'm not going to be there. Sorry. Carlos Franco was in there. Paul Stankowski was in there. Sean McKeel. I mean, it's a logistical uh, thing too, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to get to Bermuda in a day. And if this thing was in Florida or Scottsdale, it's a different story, but you know, the fact that it's just a, it's a logistical issue at this point as well, you know, so tough for guys to fill in those spots. And now they're not, we're to the point where they've exhausted the, all the, uh, the alternate list. Yes. Um, they've exhausted all of us looking at the alternate list, but they've also <laughs> exhausted the alternate list, which uh, last time I checked, it could have changed by now. The full field was going to be 132. Two players have since dropped out to bring it to 130 and they will not replace those players. So if you had designs on like, Hey, I live in Bermuda. I'm like a six handicap. I can get out there. Ah, sorry, bad news. Let's look at the positives. They're giving out a trophy. Someone's going to win it. It's going to be an official victory, a bucket of money, a bunch of points. Still counts. Well, let's figure out the answers to those questions. Let's. <laughs> Matt Fitzpatrick, fresh off of victory at Valderrama a few weeks ago, is at the top of the board on DraftKings right now. He is 10 to 1, followed by Christian. Is Wadenhout? I think I got it. Eh. You're close. I I'm just, I'm, that was I'm, actually pretty good. You went, you went Wadenhout in there in the middle? Bizwadenhout. Yeah, I'll take it. That's acceptable. I was going Bizwaden Height for a while, then I went Bizwaden Hoot. And it's Hout, C-Bez. isn't it? Seabez. Seabez. Okay, I can Cut do that. Down. He's 12 to 1, however you say his name. Mito Pereira, 16. Patrick Reed, that, that one's interesting, uh, along with Seamus Power at 20 to 1. Then, then it gets, I, this thing gets ugly in a hurry. No offense. Hayden Buckley, 25 to 1. Chad Ramey, 28 to 1. Matthias Schwab, 35. Adam Hadwin, Taylor Pendrith, a couple Canadians also at 35. Guido Migliazzi, Danny Willett at 40. Russell Knox, Patrick Rogers, Stephen Yeager round out, I, I, I guess what we're calling the top tier at 45 to one. I, I don't know. Um, does anything spark your interest in that tier of something? I mean, Fitzpatrick is interesting. He's coming off a of victory. Um, he's got a pretty good scoring average on the short courses. We talked about a lot last week. This will qualify mm-hmm. here. This was the shortest course on the PGA tour last year. It's under 6,900 yards, um, kind of a rare commodity uh, on the PGA tour, or even really the European tour at this point um, scoring average under 70 on those types of courses, the last four seasons, um, one of the funny things about Fitzpatrick is that I think the perception is, oh, he's a short hitter. He needs to succeed on some of these shorter courses. Uh, his biggest performances in terms of world ranking points earned are wins in Dubai 
and a runner-up at Bay Hill. So it doesn't necessarily fit with what you might think with Matt Fitzpatrick. That being said, that's tough to swallow for him coming off a victory and him being the favorite. I think you can find value in another place. Nothing against Matt in his game, but um, you know, uh, I just I just don't see it as a as a top of the board type selection. For me, he's the card wrecker this week or the potential card wrecker. He's the guy where you go, all right. Brendan Todd was eighty to one two years ago. Brian Gay was two hundred to one last year. Those guys won. I'm going to get some guys with big prices next to their names. Fitzpatrick's the one guy that I look at that goes, ah, he could ruin my week. I mean, you could have three guys who are all triple digits on the leaderboard Sunday afternoon, and Fitz could be the guy that goes and beats him at 10 to 1, and you're like, seriously, dude? You had to go win this week, and you couldn't let me have my triple digit to 1 as a I look at long it shot too, winner? He's got, right. He's got the highest floor of anyone in the field, right, where you know yeah. what you're probably – you don't see him – you know, just petering out and having a bad week. You know, you, you could see him being part of the conversation and just the floor seems pretty high, especially coming off that great performance where he won in his last start. Uh, Patrick Reed is, of course, interesting. He doesn't have a top 10 anywhere since the Memorial Tournament. Um, he, I know he had the, the, the hospitalization, the battle with the, the illness he had um, right at the end of the previous PGA Tour season. He only finished ahead of six players at the CGA Cup in his last start. So I know he's the biggest name on the board, but... I'm not big on him this week either, simply because he just hasn't shown it recently. I think that you can get into some of these names that you may not know a whole lot about, but you can find some value a little bit further down the board. So I'm personally, I might deviate a little bit from this top of the board and try to go a little bit deeper to find some winners. I I will also, I agree with you on Reed, although I just think that on name recognition alone, you look at the top of this board and you go, wait, Patrick Reed, Patrick Reed has longer odds than Mito Pereira. Like Patrick Reed, the guy that won the Masters, the guy that's like a world-class player. Okay, I get it. I understand why, and I don't disagree with it. It's just one of those deals where at some point, uh, sort of the example I always use for this is the Sanderson Farms last year where Sergio Garcia, I wasn't playing great. He was like 50 to one or 60 to one. And yeah, okay, he's a world-class player in a field that doesn't really have too many world-class players, but yeah, the stats aren't in his favor and recent results. And okay, I'm going to fade him. And then all of a sudden it's like, by Sunday, of course Sergio won this thing. He's by far the best player in the field. What? Why wouldn't he win this? That's kind of so, how I feel about Fitzpatrick, where yeah, I, yeah. it would seem like so obvious for him to go out there and win by four, you know. But um, the other guy I thought, I was, I was just so proud of myself because I'm a graduate of the University of Missouri. I've had an eye on Hayden Buckley's career, you know, just from my own personal bias i'm looking at it like all right back-to-back top tens his last couple starts sanderson farms and the shriners five top tens in his last eight starts across all tours i'm like it's pretty good value for hayden i look he's seventh on the board hayden buckley like i was like i was so i was kind of like feeling myself in terms of you know the potential here for him to have a big breakout week and be a sneaky name no he's near the top of the board and i guess rightfully so when you compare the peers he's got to go up against in his recent play I guess so. Although I will say that recent play hasn't meant much as far as the winners at this one. Brian Gay had missed four straight cuts uh, coming into this one last year, two years ago. Uh, Brendan Todd had a, I believe, a 28th place coming in, but before that had four missed cuts. So, uh, but if you're looking, and we'll go down the board a little further, but if you're looking for a guy who fits all of those narratives of the past two winners, a veteran player has been around for a while a really short hitter because each of these guys were in the bottom 5% in driving distance and a guy who had missed four cuts in a row going into this event, Brian Stewart checks every single one of those boxes this week. 
I don't know that that's predictive. Like, hey, every year look for an out of form short guy to go in Bermuda, and that's, that's your just, guy. But but I can say definitively from an analytical standpoint, that is not a predictive thing that you can pan out. I like I appreciate my my partner's research in this regard, but I'm not. I cannot go with predictive like. Old dude doesn't hit it far. It's been playing like ass recently. I'm not going to, that is not a formula to take to the window. I'm sorry. What I will say, I agree with you. What I will say, and I wrote this in my preview this week, is that normally you take a short hitting out of form guy and say, well, he's not going to be in contention this week. This week, you, you can't necessarily eliminate anybody based on that. So no, we're not looking for guys who, oh, give me the guy that knocks it 271 off the tee because that's exactly the number you need. Um, and give me a guy that I, I want someone who's really hungry, a guy that hasn't cashed a check since, you know, May, that would be fantastic. Uh, but you can't necessarily cross them off your list either. Uh, the one guy in this tier that I do really like, and the guy that I've got to, uh, as my favorite outright this week, Adam Hadwin plays well on some shorter golf courses. He's a guy that hits it deadly straight T six in his last start at the Shriners in Vegas a few weeks ago trending in the right direction, coming off a, a tough season last year, but he's won before on the PGA Tour, uh, plays well in events where birdies uh, are can come in bunches and uh, has 59 on the PGA Tour. So uh, a lot of things working in his favor. I like Hatton. My favorite outright, too, right near him on the odds board, Denny McCarthy. Uh, two previous starts in this event, finished 15th and 4th, 25 under par is the fifth best score to par here the previous two years. 43 birdies are better. That's third most here the last two years. An elite putter, he can take advantage of some of those shorter layouts where he can be more competitive. This is the golden example of that week. So um, if he's filling it up, um, he, can be, he can be a guy who's tough to beat. A couple of top 20s in his last five starts, had a couple of decent showings. Um, so that, that's probably my favorite value for an outright play this week. Completely with you on Denny McCarthy. I like him as well. Anytime a tournament turns into a putting contest, you like his chances. He's one of the best putters on the PGA Tour. Uh, as we kind of, I don't know if this is the mid-tier or not, we're sort of all blended together this week based on a lot of interesting numbers. But as we get into this 50-1 to range, Grayson Sig is a guy that I was watching a lot on the Corn Ferry Tour, won twice last season. Maybe it's the UGA connection, but I see a lot of Kevin Kisner in this guy where on the right golf course, a, a course that's shorter where it's ball striking is imperative, uh bermuda greens and oh, oh by the way they do have bermuda greens in bermuda in case you were wondering um it, it would be a little weird if they're like brain stuff there bent like grass it. or poa greens in bermuda but bermuda greens in bermuda i know a lot of people are wondering about that so uh grayson sig is a guy that i like on this type of golf course moving a little bit further down the list jason duffner has been playing with four four top 30s in his last five starts eh? in this field aaron rye Tends to play really well on some shorter golf courses. Brian Stewart, I mentioned. Look, guys, there's not a whole lot to get excited about here. Austin Cook does a little something for me at 100 to 1. I found found an old Justin Ray piece talking about uh, playing well on short courses that mentioned Danny Lee. He's 130 to 1 this week, so um, I might steal that from you a little bit. But there's not a ton that I'm loving down there. What about you? Um, so you mentioned veteran player doesn't necessarily hit it a long way. Hasn't had a ton of great form. Graham McDowell's made four of his last five cuts. He's a guy, veteran player doesn't hit it a ton. Um, reasonable form coming in. Um, he would fit kind of that narrative mold, uh, in terms of the previous two winners we've had. I'm with you though. It's tough to find a ton of value there. I looked at Duffner too. I had him 
him circled as a guy who, you know, has a few promising, you know, ticks upward in terms of his performance. Eric Higo, though, obviously incredibly talented. He also, look, he didn't know anything about the golf course conceivably when he went to the Palmetto and when, and just kept on with his hot play and won. He's a guy who I feel like can just show up on any given golf course, extremely talented, really high ceiling, might be on the president's cup team next year. Um, I could see him going in and having a big week, but coming off the week in Japan, as I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's gone around the world and back. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. A little bit younger. So maybe he's a little bit more resilient in that regard, but I'm with you, man. You get down there a little bit more deeper. Um, We talked about if it turns into a putting contest, another guy who benefits greatly from that is Peter Malnati, not a very long player, but a very good putter and has been, it's what's kept him on the PGA tour the last several seasons. So um, yeah, kind of, kind of it's, it's slim pickings for sure. Hank Lebiota, Peter Uline. Hey, you're defending champions 125 to one. Yeah. If he gets there, he had some plane issues. He did have some plane issues. Uh, I, Kurt Kitayama, 130. JJ Spawn at 200. <laughs> Want to make a DFS lineup? Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> sound, sound real optimistic now. All right, let's get to uh, the DFS lineup that we do every single week here on the pod, and we do it on the gimme. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him, and you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of because, God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. Okay, I'm going to start off the team. Man, my guy Hayden Buckley is 9,900. <laughs> oh. I don't know if he was 9,900 in any corn fairy events that they have on DraftKings this past uh, year. That's, that's a note worth digging into. I'm going to go with the guy I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, one of the best putters on the PGA Tour, finished 15th and 4th, his two previous starts in this event. A couple of good, good results when he's played here the last two years. Going to know the layout. Denny McCarthy is 8,500. I'm going to start off our team with Denny. I can confirm the highest price that Hayden Buckley was this past season on the Corn Ferry that was on DraftKings was 9,100. The second highest was 8,200. And he's 9,900 for a PGA Tour event. He was 91 at the live and work in Maine. My man is trending in the right direction, and he's going to break through soon. Okay. Okay. Who'd you take? I took Denny McCarthy. McCarthy. Sorry. I was looking up the. Uh, the all important Buckley in. stats. Bermuda week. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know. Hadwin's my favorite guy on the board. I'm going to take lots of Hadwin this week. 9,400, I think, is actually a decent number. I mean, when you're looking at the three names above him being Buckley, Schwab, and Ramey, I feel pretty good about Hadwin at 9,400. I would too. Uh, I think that's a pretty good price. I would expect him to be a little bit higher um, given the, the context of the field around him. Uh, my next pick's going to be another guy I mentioned earlier. Pretty good value, veteran player. He's won uh, on an island setup in recent years. Uh, Graham McDowell, uh, seventy two hundred is a good price. Going to save us a little bit of money going forward. Um, when it comes to short hitting veteran players, I've, I've got two. I mentioned Brian Stewart. Ryan Armour is the other guy. I didn't mention him in my preview column, but he's played well at this place the last couple of years. He he to me is a guy that he knows on a week to week basis on the PGA Tour. He can't really compete and contend with most of these guys. But every once in a while, there's an event that he's got, you know, circled on his calendar where he's like, all right, it's armor time. Let's go. It's my week. And I think that this could be one of those weeks. So let's throw Ryan Armour in there at 8,100. I think he's, he's probably a higher floor and maybe potentially kind of high ceiling guy. 
Okay. So we've got 16-8 left for our last two guys on the roster. Man, where am I going to go? You know what? Spend I'm going to go with Higo. Garrett Higo is just 8300 I think that's a good price for a guy with an extremely high ceiling. No one would be surprised if he won this week. Um, he won a couple of times on the European Tour when the numbers, the, the scoring numbers were absolutely ast- astronomical. Uh, 25 under won this a couple of years ago, I believe. So let's go Garrett Higo, 8300 That's going to leave you 8500 for our last pick. He was one of the last guys that didn't make my preview this week, but I've seen some other people on him already, and it kind of makes sense. A uh, guy that hits a low ball, plays well in the wind. Um, he's shown some results a little bit, 29th of the Sanderson. I mean, nothing great, but again, if you're just looking for talent in this field, a guy that has kind of been there and done that, Russell Knox at 7,700, I think, is a nice play. There's some value there. We leave 800 on the board, and quite frankly, that doesn't bother me this week at all. Ryan Armour. Adam Hadwin, Garrick Higo, Russell Knox, Denny McCarthy, Graham McDowell in the lineup this week. Ship it. Ship, I'm, ship I'm with it. you too. Thanks. I think that sure. there's going to be the winner, the winning lineups this week are going to have money on the board. It's just inevitable in terms of, you know, just because of the field composition, I think it's something you're going to see. Yeah. I Maybe I'll have a few lineups where I go Fitz and Bez and then just fit in four other guys around them just for fun and kind of see if it happens, if it's chalk at the top. And then, all right, just have the right four cheap guys with them. But other than that, yeah, it's just kind of get after the guys that you like this week. So I think it's a pretty tough week. But I also think there's a little bit of an edge that everyone else watching football, everyone else watching baseball and basketball and hockey and soccer and everything else that's going on. If you're paying attention to golf, you go out there and have a little bit of an advantage this week. So, Jay Ray, thanks for everything. Enjoy game one of the World Series. Good luck to your trash can banging Astros this week. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Good luck to everybody out there with your bets for the Butterfield Bermuda Championship. Here's hoping you hit the green.